I want sub 24. Like this is, I, I can make it. Um, and my watch at this point, I'm looking at it and I have no idea how many miles I has because the canopy is screwed up the mileage and um, with, with, with the GPS. So I was like, just playing it out in my head. I'm like, I'm thinking it's this far and I have this much time. And I was like, screw it. And I just started, um, as soon as I finished that last climb, I started hammering hard. I was sprinting all the way down. This is at night um, over like, you know, canyon edges. <laughs> and um, as I got further and closer to the finish line that I looked at my watch again, I'm like, that time crunch is coming down. And um, almost just completely reckless. Um, I was the last mile I was just jumping down, landing, and uh, there was this root uh, or um, tree branch, I should say, that extended over this this drop off on this trail going down. And the entire race, I wanted to just swing off it, and I'm like, "That's stupid! Don't you break your ankle? What are you thinking?" Um, and I didn't think twice. I saw and I swung on this thing, and it launched me forward, and without a beat, just kept running. And um, all I could hear, like, was my well. Uh, apart from my heavy metal blasting was my breathing just i was breathing hard i mean just all out and i uh, as i got closer um i saw one of the guys that works at the aid station and i could hear him on the radio and he was like he's around in the corner he's crossing the bridge and uh <laughs> and then i just i just so hard and i had no idea if i was going to make it or not and i made it with like 26 seconds to spare and it was to me it was one of the, the greatest moments you know, in, in, in all of my racing, um, because it just to find that power after just such a brutal day and then completely without any idea if I was actually had a chance of making it, I'm like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and BJ, and each week we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose, much of which comes from major life transformation. Today we're bringing you Pete Mortimer, ultra runner, coach, fellow squirrels, nut butter teammate, and someone who turned his life around through the sport of running and has since evolved into a seeker of the toughest races on earth. Races like the Georgia Death Race, a 74-ish mile endurance run with 35,000 feet of elevation change, a race in which you are discouraged from finishing and told simply to show up and die. The Dragon's Back 200 across Wales, which covers 60,000 feet of climbing in an orienteering-style stage race. The Orcas Island 100, which is described as cold, wet, dark, steep, and not for the faint of heart. But clearly, these toughest races on earth suit him as he continues to seek them and just won the Hurt 100 on the island of Oahu, known for its unforgiving terrain. Pete is passionate about inspiring others and sharing the beauty of trail running. We're excited to dive into the details of this runner's journey and look forward to seeing where our conversation takes us today. Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, it's when you read all of that, I'm like, who is this guy? I want to meet him. <laughs> yeah, he's like, cool, right? You'd want to interview him? <laughs> I kind of just go on to the next one. And then like, it, it wasn't until recently where people started talking to me and like listing back what I've done. I was like, I, I have done a lot, I guess. Yeah. yeah and, and that's three. That's three of them. Like there's more, yeah. right? The Coca Donor 250, the Bigfoot uh, 200, Tahoe. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's pretty epic. Yeah. Just, uh, just means I'm getting older. That's all. And you didn't even really find running until your, your 30s. So if you can take us back to like your, your story, share your story. And I know you've been on the podcast circuit right now with the big hurt win, but, um, we, uh, we know you're more than the hurt 100 champion and we want to, we want to get to know you better because we literally just met moments ago. Yeah. Um, so I started running in 2010 um, as just a way to lose some weight. Um, I was going through some a divorce. I was kind of unhappy and stressed. I had a very high stress job and I needed an outlet. And uh, that was it. Running, uh, I joined this uh, 
running club, the Phoenix Hash House Harriers, which, you know, they're a uh, drinking club with a running problem. <laughs> and uh, kind of, it was a great way to meet people and just kind of get out and explore uh, different parts of the city and trails. And I fell in love with running after that. Um, it was, it steadily progressed until it became insane. <laughs> <laughs> And did you grow up as an athlete? Did you do sports? Like, where did you where did you begin to like kind of pack on the weight, or was that a, a lifelong thing that was happening over time? Um, yeah, I, I played uh, soccer and tennis growing up. Um, running was probably the worst part of it. Um, I had friends that did cross country, and the thought of running three or four miles, I was like, forget it. You know, even though I was already doing that at like soccer practice, so. Um, yeah, and then I joined the military at a young age when I was 18. Um, and after getting out, I just kind of ballooned up. Well, I actually ballooned up while I was in the military towards the end. But uh, just bad habits, you know, stress, all that stuff. And um, yeah, my heaviest, I was like 250 pounds, um, which I'm a tall guy, 6'3", but you can't hide that much weight. So. <laughs> what, are you, what are you down to, down to now? Like what is your, uh, what's your race weight? Um, generally around 170. Um, I've, I weighed myself after the Bigfoot 200 and I think I was 165, which I was, I weighed more in high school. <laughs> That's kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> it just, I think it's, a, it's, it's, uh, this thing about stress, like stress can just pack, pack on. And we've had guests on the podcast where it's like, all of a sudden you turn into, you, you realize you're like, wow, I'm at 250. Like, how did this happen? Um, mm -hmm. how stress, and then you change jobs. So it sounds like maybe job was, was part of it. How, how do you manage that now? How do you, or do you feel stress or do you feel like the running is the outlet? Yeah. The, uh, running is definitely the outlet. I, if I, uh, even on my rest days, I have a hard time sitting mm -hmm. still. Um, normally I would, you know, just stare out the window, like thinking of like, Oh, I could go up this mountain today, but I gotta be strict. I gotta take a day off. And, but now I've, bought a gravel bike so now even on my rest days i'm like oh, i'm gonna go out and <laughs> it's rest right <laughs> um but yeah it's uh stress is definitely um for me running has been the, the biggest outlet i work in the hospital um i work well many different hospitals do travel a lot um i'm i, I never know where i'm going to be week to week uh it's always a surprise so it's kind of it's nice in the fact that I can take all my stuff with me and then just wherever I'm at in like Sedona or Phoenix or Flagstaff, or I can just pop out for a run in all these amazing different places. Um, but if I don't get it in, then I definitely feel it building up inside. Um, even if it's just going out for just a couple miles, just to slow down and, and just kind of breathe. Yeah. I think, um, some runners get really caught up with like, well, it's only a couple miles and, you know, I'm training for a 200, like it's not enough, but you're saying here, like it's enough. And, and I mean, we agree with that, but, um, did you, did you, how'd you have to learn that? Oh, patience, uh, just getting older. I think, <laughs> you know, I, I, even today I, I went out for a six mile run and I'm like, Oh, it's not even an hour. And, but I'm like, just, just, relax, take it in, you know, you're getting some exercise, you're, you know, doing a little bit of heat training, just take it for whatever it's worth. And just a couple of miles sometimes can just totally change your, your mindset. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, and like, even if you're not a runner, or a hiker, just just go out and walk, walk in nature, just take it all in. If you want music, fine, you know, or just or unplug. I mean, that's just I don't feel like we did it enough as, uh, as humans anyway, um, let alone with the pandemic that a lot of people just shut themselves in. I mean, it was, there's no better time. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. No better time. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta get out there. Like that's, it, it feeds the soul. I think it really feeds the soul. And I like that you touched upon the, the headphones versus non headphones. Like at first it doesn't matter. Like get, get yourself out the door, whatever it takes, like to, yeah. to get on the other side of the front door. But then you start to open up this uh, this box where you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot happening out here that I'm missing as I listen to music. And maybe if I just sort of uh, meet myself with those emotions or feelings of if you're on the trail, maybe emotion of fear or like what's out there or, you know, what's around the next corner, you beam into presence, like you beam into this experience that's happening right now. And, and I love that. Um, I don't know if you've discovered that if you run with music or you personally, you know, like to just be out there with nature. 
I like both. Um, I listen to podcasts sometimes. I, I work even from the trail. Um, I have a job where I've got to be on call all the time. Um, I've taken work calls on top of Mount Humphreys and had to like add surgeries into the calendar and like order stuff for like the next day just because it's like it's it's all time based. So um, I, I just take it for what it is. And there are days where my phone's getting hammered and I'm just like, oh, gosh, you know, I wish I could just put in airplane mode and um those are i save those days for for the race um when i can actually turn off my phone but the uh yeah i love listening to music um all types um i in fact a lot of my pace in races is based on the type of music that i'm listening to so i'll always start off a race with um like these epic soundtracks um from big movies um you know like gladiator or braveheart and and just kind of you get goosebumps and then as you're running through these mountains and you're listening to lord of the rings you just like oh man it just and it forces me to slow down um and then Later on in the race, I would need a little adrenaline push. I'm like, all right, here comes the uh, heavy metal. I'm going to put that on and or techno or whatever it is I'm feeling at that moment and just go with it. And then you just, you know, I, I do it so much in my training anyway. You, you just get a good song and like you could feel like crap at mile, you know, five or six. And then like a good song comes on at mile seven. You're like, oh, yeah, this is this is amazing. And then the click, click, click of miles just go by. And then you're like, I'm done. So I, I, I really enjoy it. But again, not afraid to unplug as well and just take in nature. But in my experience, I've run into enough bears and wild animals that ignorance is bliss. So <laughs> I, I don't want to hear what's going on in the dark of the night. You know, just I'd rather just listen to music. I like it. That's a strategy. So I love this club that you joined, the drinking club or the running problem. Uh, and I think that it's it just gives permission to people like whatever your access point is doesn't matter it doesn't matter what your access point is you know i started meditating because it i was told that it was going to help reverse aging right like i wasn't really looking for enlightenment at that point i just wanted something to not have a panic attack and i was like well that's a bonus so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how you enter in um but how do you get from the drinking club with a running problem where does it go from there because were they trail runners or road runners like what's your introduction to racing um, so yeah, the, the, the first year was just, I think when I started running with them, I could run maybe two miles and that was it. I was just gassed. Um, the beauty about that group is you don't know, you show up, up at a place and it's always random, like a different parts of the city. And like this, this club's all over the world, by the way, you can just literally show up in any city, show up at the running club and then go run with these guys. They're amazing. Um, but yeah, the, the, the point of it is you don't know where you're going to be running. You're chasing somebody, uh, the hares, and they're leaving a trail ahead of time, um, leaving these marks with chalk and flour. Um, and so they're trying to lead you to the beer stop along the way. Um, so the, the point of the, 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 the run is to work together, essentially. So you have runners and walkers, and there's generally a right way to go and a wrong way to go, and you have to follow the marks and figure that out along the way and there's these checkpoints and when you get to the checkpoints and you know okay I've, i'm on the right trail um but from there again you can find the wrong way to go um and uh so it doesn't matter how fast you run you can always end up back in the middle of the pack and so it's a great social like to me experiment i don't know it was started by the military um in the, like the early uh, 1900s and uh as a way of these military soldiers um getting some exercise and then they finish at the hash house hence the hash house and then the the harriers the runners um so there's the the hares that you're following and you're trying to track them down and catch them um and if you're fast enough you can you can get them um uh, but that's where the checkpoints and the false trails come in so they're trying to keep you keep you back and eventually you get to a beer stop and everyone socializes and has a beer or two and you don't have to drink it's not mandatory and and then from there, you go on to the next, the next uh, part of the trail, and you end up generally around where you started. Uh, some point, sometimes they have an A to B. Um, but it's just – and then we all gather up afterwards, and we kind of do this ritual where we sing songs. And they're all vulgar versions of regular songs you've probably heard, and people just make up their own songs. And we call people out for things that happen on trail, and it's kind of just a little mini celebration. And uh, then we just spark, you know, we go our own ways. 
Oh my God. I love this club. It's, it kind of sounds like it was put together over a couple drinks for sure. Oh, but- sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it has evolved. I mean, you, you can go, I've, I've hashed in, uh, in Hong Kong and, and different parts of the world and you can just go and they're, they're all generally the same. They have different marks, but the spirit is always the same. Um, and that's, what's great about it. I mean, it's not, it's not inclusive to only certain, you don't have to have hashed before you can just show up. Um, and there's many other, I mean, you can go deep into it and then we've got like special names for each other and, and all this stuff and you, you don't get to pick it. They pick it for you. And it's normally something vulgar. Um, I don't want to go into my, <laughs> you can show up at a hash. I'll tell you. Um, but I, when I'm running, when I was running with these guys, it was, I started to like doing these six, seven mile road runs or trail runs. And, um, I, I was like, wow, I've never run this far before. And I just couldn't believe it. And because you don't know where you're going and you're working together, it's over before you know it. And you just like, holy crap, I just ran seven or eight miles. And so at this point I was like, you know, I, I kind of want to try a half marathon. You know, I knew some of the runners in the group and they were, they were competitive or they were do full marathons, which I thought was just totally out of my league. And, I did a, I trained for a half marathon. Um, I did that in 2011, I think. And then after finishing that one, I was like, maybe I'll try a full. And then a year later I did my first full marathon and, uh, I finished in like three fifteen, which was pretty good for me. I missed Boston by like 10 minutes. Um, and I had no clue what I was doing either. I, I just been in a skiing accident two weeks prior. Um, giant head laceration um and i had a contusion in my femur hit this rock like last run of the day classic and they had to like put me in a toboggan and like put me down the mountain and uh, i couldn't walk properly for the first oh i don't know week my knee kept quad kept firing snapping back and forth i'm like if i don't get a brace i'm gonna rip my acl and i was just limping i'm like well this is it i'm not going to be able to run this marathon and i was just taking tons of ibuprofen, which I never do. I normally don't take anything, even for a headache. And uh, just doing whatever I could. I bought a mountain bike, this cheap mountain bike. And just, I'm like, I want to run this marathon. Um, and I asked an orthopedic surgeon if I should do it. And she said no. And I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, 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 again, I, I didn't know anything about salt or nutrition or anything. I just kind of ran through it. And uh after I finished, I was like, wow, I, I think I could qualify for Boston maybe. And um, then progressed. Uh, I trained for another year and tried to qualify for Boston a couple times and just failed. I I was reaching this point. I think I really hated the road running and I was doing a little bit of self-sabotage. I would do all the training and then before race day, I would just, just go eat horrible or just – you know, even what <laughs> classic story went out uh, at CIM years ago um, with uh, uh, several friends, and it was to see you know California International Marathon. It's a big one, and the day before we went out to a hash and had a few drinks, and that after it ended, just progressed to just keep drinking until one the next morning, and eating like you know we're up late we're eating nachos and all this horrible food we didn't get back to the house until like 2 30 and uh yeah i woke up at like 4 30 for this thing and it was I'm trying to remember what year this was it was one of the coldest years on record i mean they it was so bitterly cold the the water from the aid stations was it was just spilling and it was just turning into sheets of ice on the on the course um and I was so hungover, I forgot my air, earbuds, which I couldn't listen to music, which a whole marathon on the road was like, oh, that was just double torture. And then just freezing the entire time with this giant hangover. And I still finished in like 340, which I'm kind of proud of. But um, then I had to wait for everybody to finish. And, um, you know, that was that took a while for, for my friends to come in. And um, <laughs> two of my friends were dressed up as Smurfs. <laughs> And they looked like the saddest Smurfs when they came across that because they all endured the same pain as I did. So, um, but yeah, there was a lot of that early on, and uh, I, I I started to really hate the road running. And um, I, at one point, I just uh, I, I had a bad experience at the Tucson Marathon, and uh, my my partner, she's like, "Why don't you try trail running?" So I, I did. I, I 
got into trail running for a bit, and um, I, I just liked the difference. The, the less crowds, um, the community, um, the volunteering, the, the whole the whole nine yards. So um, it's just kind of stuck with me. And um, I've done a few road races since. I did qualify for Boston years later um, without trying just because trail running made me a stronger runner. I just um, – but it's not really – roads aren't really my thing. Oh, there's so much in this story, but but what I keep pulling, what keeps like standing out to me is this this thread of um, kind of gnarly experiences that I think were preparing you for what you do now. So like those those hash runs is kind of like your first taste of like orienteering in a way, right? Oh and, yeah, yeah. And then the crazy ski accident, and then doing. <laughs> And then doing the marathon, like showing up in, in a way that, you know, you're not a hundred percent. And, and then the, um, you know, the all nighter before CIM and it being really cold. So just suffering, suffering. Although I think the cold might have helped because if I remember like the hungover days, you're just so hot. You're so hot. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe the, uh, maybe the cold helped to just kind of like oh, down, keep the inflammation yeah. down. I don't know, it- but. It was fine while I was running, but um, afterwards I, I had to wait around and it didn't have anywhere to go. So I'm just standing there. I didn't have any clothes or anything. And I'm just literally my little foil, you know, shawl, just trying to stay, stay warm. And I mean, it's, you're already hung over. It's miserable. You just want to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say you finished and then you went to the beer tent after, after that race. Oh, no, I probably should have. <laughs> Hair of the dog. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's this there's this theme that like you were kind of preparing for what you do now. You were having these experiences and you kept moving through them like despite. Um so you do this trail run, but I've word on the street is didn't you DNF that first trail run? I did. <laughs> yes. Uh my first uh <laughs> that was another <laughs> another story. So um my first trail race, I was really excited. It was a twenty six K out is a night run out in, in uh I think it was Fountain Hills in Phoenix, where they do the Havoline 100. Yep. So, um, so I show up early, I'm getting ready, and um, I get called into work completely on the other side of city, the city, which you know was, it was probably an hour and, and a half drive, like speeding. And I got called into work. I'm like, well, this is it. I'm not going to get to race today. So I, I drive all the way to work, and um, I go up to the surgery, and they're like, oh, we're running a little bit behind. Um, of course, everything's always delayed. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go drown my sorrows in some uh, mozzarella sticks and a bacon cheeseburger. And uh, so I go and I'm just, you know, this is back when my nutrition was absolutely horrible still. I mean, it was just coming off the road. So, um, but yeah, just eat this huge gut bomb of a meal and then go upstairs and they're like, oh yeah, the case canceled. So I look at my watch, I'm like, oh, I can make it. You know, speeding, I can make it. And uh, yeah, I, I get across town I, right before the uh, the start line. It was it was 30 seconds before they started. Got all my stuff and went, uh, fell twice uh, into a cactus. <laughs> just thorns everywhere. I mean, I'd never trail run before, ever. And it's at, and it's at night. I just no no idea what I was doing. And um, it was a two-lap race and I DNF'd after the first. I was like, my stomach was wrecked. And I was picking thorns out and uh, my partner, she finished both laps. She was like one of the few of, of our group that did. And uh, which was a little embarrassing to me. I was like, God, do marathons. I can't even <laughs> finish a 26K. Um, but it was, I never had so much fun. It was just, it was a party. And uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try another one of these things. And uh, then I started uh talking to some friends and I heard about a 50 mile and I was like, there's 50 mile races. And yeah, at first I was like, there's no way I'm ever doing a 50 mile race. And, uh, I think in 2014 is, uh, I did my first one. Yeah. And, but then you progressed pretty quick. I've got a little, uh, where is it here? Like a month later. <laughs> yeah. Like you progress, you do a lot, you do a lot that year. Um, yeah, 2014, your, your first ultra. And then I have that same year, um, you did your first hundred mile, like yeah. a couple months later, right? Like, a yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. it was, I think, uh, the 50 mile, well, I did like a, for my first 50 mile race, 
I did a 40 or a 75K, which is a 46-mile like training run. And then uh, I think I finished third in that one. And that was... At, that was also at night and that was probably like late August and then 50 mile or October. And then, um, basically the end of October was happily in a hundred. So, uh, I figured, Oh, you do 50, you do a hundred. Um, and I slogged my way through it. It wasn't pretty, but <laughs> <laughs> can you speak to, cause as we progress in ultra, right? You're like, okay, I can do a marathon. I can do a 50 K. If I can do a 50 K, like I can do it. I can do a 50 mile because, you know, 50K can be anywhere upwards of 33, 34 miles. You're like, I can do like another half marathon or so. And then you get into the, well, I can do 100K because that's 12 miles more. But, and I haven't done a 100 mile. Um, but can you speak to the jump from like 50 mile or 100K to 100 mile? Because I've heard that that's a, like, it's a different beast, right? Like the 100 mile is a different, it's a different organism, <laughs> Yeah, I would say to anyone, I mean, the 50 mile, even to the 100K, um, you can get by mostly on just, uh, you know, tr good training, getting there. Um, the, the 100 mile is nutrition because everything after is, is just, it, it's entirely keeping like the engine running. Um, when you've run that many miles, you just, you're, if you put in the training already, you're, your muscle memory is there, you're clicking away. Um, but if you don't have the fuel going, then that's when you bonk, you know, you have these ups and downs, um, electrolytes, that sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of, um, today it seems like there's a lot of mar fast marathoners, um, that are switching over to ultras and they're, they're running a lot of 50 Ks, uh, 50 mile, hundred, hundred K and they can just fly on these things. Um, now, they can only, it's every, not every day they're going to have a great day doing that because, you know, even in the 100Ks, 50 miles, you have to be, you know, a little bit more strict with your nutrition, but even more so in the 100 miler. Um, and uh, I think it's it's doable for, I think it's doable for anybody. I've seen a lot of folks and that started, you know, with a like a 10 mile run, for example, and then did a 50 mile and then did a 100 mile on the problem. Um, it's up to them whether they like it or not. I think I think uh, if you do all the right training and you do it properly, you're probably going to enjoy it and you'll be back and do some more. But if uh, if you don't and you just kind of you know get get to the finish line on all fours, and you probably just put that you know little uh, tip in your hat and then move on to something else. <laughs> and I think you got to be willing to like figure it out. You got to be willing to figure it out. And I'm, I'm assuming this is what you're doing is you're learning like trial and error, especially at the beginning, um, you know, learning from mm -hmm. each race and, and moving on. But were you working with a coach or were you doing this all yourself with maybe the consensus of friends and things? Early on, uh, I didn't have a coach. Um, I don't think I got a coach until about 20... 16 maybe um i you know before that i i would take a lot of advice um and then i wouldn't listen i would just <laughs> go out and completely like throw it out the window and you know i i, I i'm stubborn that way but it's not that i didn't hear them or you know i i took it in i took the advice but i also want to feel like what it's like when you hit your lows and and just all these different things i mean and as a coach too i think it's, it makes you a better coach, right? You know, you can go and you can say, I can relate to this because I've gone through this. And whereas if you haven't, then it's, how are you, how are you going to relate to, to your athlete? Um, so I, I just, over the years, I've just learned the hard way in everything that I've done. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, you said, I don't like suffering. I, I, I don't know. I guess I genuinely do. And I keep putting myself into it and I don't, once you do it, I'm just like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. And then, but you lose scope. Um, people like when you start talking about the stuff that I've done, I'm like, holy crap, I forgot I've done this. And, or I don't even think like when I finish something, even when I do well, sometimes I'm like, oh, that was okay. I could do much better. I'm always, you know, being critical of myself that way. Well, it becomes normalized, I think. And, um, because uh, I'm the same, I'm a coach myself, but I love to, and I won't give anything to our athletes that I haven't done myself or failed at myself, fail, learn from. Um, or tremendously learned from. And I, I firmly believe you got to experience it. And in each, what, what thread I see with you, every step of the way, whatever, you know, your, your partner said, you know, get on the trails. You've never like gotten into the details of like, well, what shoes do I need to wear? What watch do I need to have? 
Um, what pace do I need to, what is the ideal mileage? Like you've always just gone through with it and had this very thing that we're talking about, which is experience and have your own experience so that you have your, your point of reference, um, for you. And sure. yeah, taking in information is great, but I believe firmly. And you said the, the key word there is feel it. Like you really need to feel it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I, I even, uh, there's a few people I'm coaching right now. I just recently just started coaching. So, um, but there's a few uh, that I've been doing, uh, working with over the last year. And, um, I, sometimes I will give them specific workouts just to, yeah, I know it'll make them suffer a little bit. And, um, I, I always talk to them after I was like, how, how was it? And they're just like, you know, shake their head at me or, or if they go out with me, if they're like, they're, they're going to go out with a run with me, there's probably a good chance that we're going to do something that they're not normally accustomed to doing. <laughs> and there's most likely going to be extra mileage involved. That's, that's always a given with me. I mean, a lot of people, as they've gotten to run with me, they're like, yeah, if you're going to run with Pete, you're going to get a few, few extra miles. Uh, and you probably don't tell them what the workout is beforehand. You're probably, are you just in the moment? Like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pick it up here or, or do you give it to them? I, was, I mean, I always sugarcoat it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, some of the best, I, I love uh, taking photos uh, of, of trails of, of my friends and, and just whoever we're out and all, all different stuff. And um, some of my favorite photos, uh, which on my screensaver on my TV is just uh, these amazing places that we've run together and just, they're coming up this mountain, just looking at me like, oh, I hate you right now. Just <laughs> well, I think what you're giving, that's the way I feel sometimes. <laughs> and you're giving them, you're giving them an opportunity to be in the unknown, right? So, sure. like a lot of times, like I need the workout, I need to know what it's going to be, I need to know how long we're going to go, and I, I think especially if they're trail runners, um, they need to absolutely be in the unknown because you never quite know how long the race is going to be. Um, if you get lost, you know, I mean. There's so much unknown there. And um, do you come up against that, though? Do you come up against, like, um, I, I don't want to say against that feels negative, but, like, maybe overthinkers or people who are like, but I I need to know what the workout is. Like, I need to know what I'm doing a week from next Wednesday. And it, it creates a little bit of, like, ah, and how important is it for them to really start to relax into the unknown? Um. Yeah, I'm... I'm you know, I, my, my work is chaotic. My life can be chaotic. It's all over the place. And, um, I think everybody should have some of that in their life, <laughs> you know, and especially during a race, you don't know, I mean, a storm rolls in or, uh, there's a course change last minute. Um, you know, I've heard people complaining, Oh, this, it was two extra miles to this, or it's, you know, 54 miles, not 50 miles. And I'm like, well, it just, to me, it is what it is. And that's the race or that's, that's the adventure. And you just, you feel a lot better just, just accepting it and just moving on. I mean, you sit, if you sit there and talk to yourself and beating yourself up or beating other people up about it, it, it just, that just raises everybody's stress level. It's, I, I just don't think it's a great way to go through life and anything in your job or, you know, just, I'm not, much of a complainer i don't think i am i mean i think most of my friends or family would say the same thing i just kind of put my head down and suck it up and i'm kind of that old school i guess old school 80s child just <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> I, I i love that i think you mentioned i was listening to one of your podcasts where you were you missed your crew on Leadville, like at the turnaround point. And then, um, you had to go back yeah. up over a whole pass. You didn't have your nutrition. So you grabbed like a sleeve of, of goo blocks and just kind of nibbled on that for the 13 miles versus like, where's my crew? Oh my God. I can't believe that they didn't make it. Or, you know, I'm so upset. I can't wait to see him and tell him how upset I am. You kind of quickly shifted to what can I do? And what, what can I, what can get me up and over? Yeah. And you know, a lot of times, um, you, I mean, you just have to have plan A, plan B, and and have been through. I mean, that's mm. uh, my crews miss me <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> Normally, they're off partying somewhere. <laughs> it's funny they um, they always seem to miss me at the first aid station check or wherever they're allowed to see me uh, running late, and I'm normally running ahead or whatever reason. And uh, so, but it's it's fun, and I. 
but I, I just don't expect it, you know? And I think just going through those motions of like, oh, you know, I've been through this before. I've been through this before. You just kind of have to just take it as is and, and move on. And yeah, I mean, like, what am I going to just throw in the towel? I'm like, oh, halfway done. I'm like, screw it. I'm, I'm not going just because they're not here. I have just run this far and you train for the race. You're going to do the race. And um, that's why we have aid stations or this, you know, checks, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, okay. So you do your first hundred, then, um, 2016, you had mentioned you started working with a coach and this is when you start going, getting into bigger stuff. You do the Tahoe, uh, Mm -hmm. 200, which then you go the following year and do Bigfoot 200 and like cut off a day's worth of time. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the jump from a hundred to 200. Um, and, I've heard that you have kind of a love for these multi-day events. Yeah, I I wish I could do more 200s. Um, they're definitely my favorite, or even longer. I'll, I'll do whatever's tougher and harder. I, I it's all about time with me with work and trying to plan it. Um, you know, the hundreds or shorter distances are easy because you can just fly someone for a weekend, knock it out, and be back. Whereas the 200s take you know two, three days for me, longer for more, for others. And, um, so that's, to me, that's my, my holiday when I go somewhere, it just, I'm going to have, and it's what greater way of spending some free time than just running through the mountains. Your friends are partying, you get to see them run with them and just explore nature. And it's just, uh, to me, it's the best. I wish I could do more of them. Um, after my kids are out of high school, you know, and probably I'll, I'll start putting some more, do it, doing more of those, but, yeah, uh, when I first thought about or came to hear about 200s, uh, for me, it was, I just, again, there's 200 mile races. <laughs> and I, I'm, the thought of doing a hundred mile or right after I finished a hundred mile, was just insane to me, but people were doing them. So I was like, maybe I could do it. And, uh, yeah, I, my coach at the time, uh, James Bonet, he, I was talking to him about it and he said, I'm like, well, how do you do this? He's like, I, I don't, I've never done 200 miles. I, I don't know how to train for this. And he's like, if I were to do it, like I would run like 30 miles a day in, in three days in a row. And I'm like, okay. So I just camped somewhere and I still do it to this day. This is how I, this is how I train for him. I, I camp somewhere and I run about 30 miles a day and, uh, not all at once. I just split it out. I camp. I, uh, I normally invite others along with me if they want, just do a big camp out over like a three day weekend. Um, we're cooking food, having drinks, you know, and I just run breakfast, lunch, dinner. And, uh, it just, you get used to that kind of time on feet, long time outdoors. Don't worry about speed. Just get it done. Wake up. You're tired because you've been staying up late and then you're out there door, the door and you're like, whatever I do, I have to get in these 30 miles a day. And, um, I've steadily made it harder over the years with more mountains. And I, the, the last time I did it, I think I, I spent three days in the Grand Canyon. Um, I did like uh, rim to rim to rim and then uh, rim to river to rim and then rim to river rim again or something like that. It was like over three days. It was stupid. Um, but that's that seems to have worked for me. And, and uh, I would say anyone wanting to do 200 milers, that's a good way, good way of training. Mm. <laughs> well, they... Um... You also said, uh, what can I do that's harder? Um, I've heard you say. So um, as you progress through this, are you feeling like, um, you know, when you get to do the three by by 30 miles, like how do you, how do you make that harder? Like how do you, how is that not enough? Meaning like how do you not rest on your laurels and say, okay, well, I've got this locked in. I'm going to do this every time. Whereas you're always sort of, you know, upping the game a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, I, the Grand Canyon was one of those examples. When I first started doing it, I was, you know, running flatter tight trails. Um, I put mountains in maybe one day. Um, and now I just, I don't even think about the amount of vertical. I know I, I want to do whatever I'm doing. I want a ton of vertical in my workout, but it doesn't phase me anymore as much, I guess, <laughs> just because, I've done enough races where it's 30,000 plus feet of climbing and like a hundred miler or like 60,000 in a 200 miler. And you're, you're out climbing all day and you just, your legs, once you've wrecked them enough, you're, you know, 
they're wrecked forever. <laughs> it's all keeping it mental at that point. Just, just keep it, keep it going. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't, I, I think there's something with the two hundreds that, um, cause you can run at a generally running at a slower pace and, um, you're not burning as much glycogen. You're, you're, you have this, all this great like food. You're not just eating candy at an aid station. Like I, some of these aid stations, they're, people rolling around with radio flyers and pizza and ice cream and, you know, um, made to make food made to order. So it's unique cause you need real food. Um, you're running for several days at a time. Um, but I, I, I just, I think if there's, there's no other races like it out there. Um, <laughs> have you guys done any 200 mile races? No, I haven't, but no. we, um, we did a little short, little podcast with Katra Corbett and, um, okay. I yeah. remember her saying like, just do a 200, yeah. like forget the hundred, <laughs> just do a 200. She's like, you got sleep stations. She said they're actually yeah. easier than hundred miles. Cause you got all this time. I've met so many uh, runners at these races that aren't even runners. They're just through hikers. You know, they just hike a lot. And they're like, you know, I, I hike pretty fast. And they finish these races, you know. And it's, it's just amazing to me. It just it goes to show the different types of strengths, you know, that work for, for these dis- different distances. Yeah. So um, I had I'd heard your name. I, I knew about you. And then um, BJ was telling me that, Oh, you got to watch this, you know, YouTube um, movie, this short little half hour movie from Aravaipa on the Cocodona 250. And then, of course, you came in second at that. And then we watched um, the other little video that you did leading up to Hurt. And I just, I loved, like, there was a lightheartedness about you. And I was like, we got to get this guy on the show. Like, I, I just really like, I liked your energy. And I liked the way, um, like, how you were coming across in those videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just felt good. So the Cocodono 250 is like no joke. There's 10,000 feet of climbing in the first 50K. And you come in, um, I was just revisiting this, like you come in, I think it's called the Tut Hill Aid Station and the second place guy is there. And he has mm. to take a nap because he's like having sleep deprivation. And then you talk about like leaving that aid station after over 200 miles of racing and you're like it's on and your and your pacer was like come on man we gotta get this guy like wow um but what i love about the story is that you're like this is on and um but then you catch up to him um and uh oh i can't remember his name hawk what was his first name uh dax dax yes and um you say like i caught up to him and like we walked and we were talking and so i i love this titration of being super competitive at 200 plus miles into a race. And then also like the, the brotherhood or the companionship of your fellow competitor while you're out there, um, you know, coming together. Can you speak a little bit about that, you know, either in that race or any other race? Yeah. You know, I, um, I've always been competitive more with myself. I'm, I'm definitely still competitive with myself. Um, but as I've gotten, become a better runner, I, I don't know. I still marvel at all these other runners and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I get to run with you guys. And, you know, just to me, they're like this upper echelon and I'm just like, oh, maybe if I could just, you know, get a little taste of just that. And, uh, but I mean, Dax is one of those guys. I mean, he just, from the beginning of the race, it, I mean, he just, I could see he had just had a tremendous amount of strength to him. Um, and, uh, yeah, he just, <laughs> he powered through without sleep. Um, which, you know, I haven't done before. I, I mean, I slept an hour and 40 minutes during that race and, um, I can't imagine not ha- just having no sleep. Um, he, he said he, he fell right before Tut Hill. I don't think this was in the, in the movie, but he told me he fell right before Tut Hill and he basically woke himself up and he didn't know which direction he was going or where he was. And, you know, I've, I've sort of been there, like, you know, in other races where just, I mean, you get so sleep deprived. I mean, and that's where all these hallucinations come in on these bigger races. Um, I've, <laughs> I know a runner that threw her poles off the side of a cliff because she thought it was the only way to save her. You know, um, there's another person that was found in the forest. They saw his tracker and he's like talking to Coca-Cola bottles. And I mean, the amount of things that can go through your head at that time, I mean, and so when I saw him and as tired as he was, we were both exhausted. For me, it was easier to understand like how much time we had left still. And um, 
but then, and I was thinking, I'm like, well, we still got, you know, we still got to go over Mount Eldon all the way to, to finish. Um, but at the same time, how strong we were both moving together. Uh, and we were like during that, that when we were running through Walnut Canyon, it was, it was atrocious how we were running. I mean, it was just, we were just hammering as hard as we could because all we could see was each other's lights. And uh, I had just had so much respect for him. I mean, I chased him for like a day and a half, you know, when, <laughs> when I actually started picking up my pace um, in Cottonwood. I mean, he was already ahead of me. And I, I think in this place, I was like fourth or fifth. And when I, uh, McKnight dropped and I, I kept creeping, I would run into people like on their ATVs. And I'm like, yeah, this guy is like just a mile up there. You're going to catch him. And then like four hours go by, I'm like, where is this guy? It's impossible. And, and just every turn I'm going around and it just, it starts like really getting into your, your mental state. And um, so I had so much respect for him when I, when I caught, for, caught, caught up to him. I'm like, God, this is the amount of strength that this guy has. And uh, to me, it's like, I get to run with this guy, you know? So cool. And you end up passing him and, and come in second in that uh, inaugural race. Was it, What's your overall impression of Cocodono 250? I, I really loved it. Um, I, <laughs> I've run a lot of those trails over the years. Finishing in my backyard is really nice. Um, there, the stretch of uh, mountains, the Bradshaws, which is the first 30 miles of that race. Um, I drive past it all the time when I'm going to Phoenix or Black Canyon. And over the years, I'm like, oh, one day I'm going to run to run in those mountains. And the Cocodona race came up and that's where we started. And I can honestly say that I never want to run in those mountains again. <laughs> it's just <laughs> from my experience there. Um, they are hard mountains. Um, and with basically no water options, um, they're supposed to move a water drop in to aid the runners to help, help this year. So, um, that'll be good for them, but I, I don't really have a desire to do it again. It's nothing against the race. I really enjoyed it and it was great. I mean, the two hundreds again for me are always a, just a giant party. We get, I always have a massive crew, ton of different pacers and we just stretch it out over the couple of days. And you don't re I was also looking at, you don't, um, repeat races that often. So you don't like go target, you know, go over and over again. Um, is there a reason for that? Or do you just like to take on new challenges or just, you've already done that kind of like the Cocodona 250. Now you've done it maybe move on to the next thing. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll repeat, um, just the local stuff for training runs. Um, and I always just like running into folks that I don't get to see that often. All the, all the local people. I mean, it's Arizona. has got like a huge trail running community. Um, so it's always great catching up with folks. Um, but yeah, the, the other stuff I'm definitely kind of a one and done, um, especially on lottery races. Um, I, I just, you know, like Western, I get in this year, it's like seven years and hurt was like six years. And I, I, after waiting that long, I just want someone else to have an opportunity. Um, I, you know, they offered me to go back to hurt and, you know, I was, I'm flattered. Thanks. But, um, I'm on to the next thing. So, and it's also, it takes a little bit of pressure off because how, you know, I know some races I finished second and, you know, I, I'm like, Oh, I could go back and finish first. I'm like, nah, it's just, if, if I'm one and done, I do as well as I can for that day on that race. And then just, that's it. I accept it. And, uh, if I crush that day, great. If I don't, then, then whatever. So it's, it's okay to have a bad day. I love that. I really do. Um, I'm one to repeat things over and over again. So I love the alternative angle of it of just like, you know, embrace whatever experience you had. Don't hang on to it. Move on to the next one. Create a new one. Create, create another one. It may be first. It may be, you know, a DNF. It doesn't matter, but you're going to create another experience and not holding on too tightly to what's already happened in the past. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. And I've, I've had some great race experiences when I just finished like, you know, in the middle of the pack. And then I've had some race experiences, even when I've won where I'm like, ah, you know, I, it was okay today. I, I didn't have as much fun as I thought, whatever, but I took it as it took it as it is. And again, that's probably me just being more critical of myself. Cause you know, you set this bar too high and your own expectations of how you want to do and, you know, even when you hit most of the markers, you know, sometimes you're just like, ah, I could, I, I could do better. So I've tried to, over the years, kind of reel that in and, and be more realistic. So you'll be at Western States this year, which will be 
super exciting. We'll be tracking that because they have amazing coverage now. Um, but I want to touch upon The Hurt, and you've done a lot of podcasts, so I'm going to link to the one you did with Jamil, um, Aravipa Running. You're on their their race team, and I'll link to a couple other ones that you've done. But I, The Hurt 100 took you six years to get in. This This is like a crazy crazy race, like terrain. And I think it's like five 20 mile loops. Um, but what is a, what's an overall like memorable, you know, maybe there's more than one like experience in that race, um, that you just won, which is so epic, dude. That's amazing. Um, I I would say definitely the finish for me. Um, when I, when I took over first place at, like mile, I think it was on lap four. Um, I had about a, a lap and a half to go. Um, I, I, I was like, wow, I'm in, I'm in front now. Um, I totally wanted this race. Just, I'm going to dial it back and just kind of, all I want to do is finish. And then all of a sudden starts turning, like the strength obviously got me there through there. And, um, yeah, then it was like, wow, I just, I, at this point, I was like, "Well, I'm in front, but if I get past again, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to keep keep going and doing the same momentum. I'm not going to change anything. I'm not going to speed up." And uh, that that was uh, that was my plan for about a half lap, and then I got into the aid station. I was like, "We got to go!" And uh, <laughs> I got all my stuff together because my goal at that point was. Um, the way that they come in to, to the main aid station, it kind of, you come into the aid station and when you leave, there's about, I don't know, several hundred feet where you share the same trail and then it kind of diverges and it, so it becomes like a loop. Um, so you don't see, you know, when you're going out, you won't see them coming in. So my, that was my goal. I'm like, I don't want them to see me at the aid station. I don't know how far behind they are. I just, but I want to, I want that kind of, uh, message them being like, Oh, Pete's already gone. Maybe he's feeling good or how far ahead is he? Um, and, uh, my partner was just, I just asked, uh, Siska, I was like, just call me or text me when they come into the aid station, just so I know, um, it'll take a little bit of stress off and I'm going up and I'm about halfway up and I'm like texting her. I'm like, any, any news? Nothing. Okay. And then I'm, I finished the first climb and um, I was on my descent to the to the first aid station. They're like, oh, they just got into the aid station. I'm like, okay, well, this is even better. I've already knocked out the first of three, three big climbs. And um, so I, I just, I kept pushing. And then on the way back from the pirate aid station, I saw my buddy Sergio and uh, we had, I'd only met Sergio. Uh, he ended up taking a second and I'd only met him a few months prior. He came out uh, with uh, one of his uh, buddies um, and um, Rod Bean, who uh, his dad used to uh, work for the Hurt 100. And uh, we went out running with Jeff Browning in the Grand Canyon. And um, yeah, went rim to rim to rim together. And then now we're doing this race together. And uh, we were like first and second, like, can't believe this. And we each hugged each other and jumped up and down on the trail like like <laughs> kids or whatever. <laughs> Anyway, and then we just kept going because we were like, got to focus. And um, that last lap, I realized, okay, I've got this thing in the bag um, on, on my way way out from Nuano, which is the last uh, aid station um, climb. But now it was like, oh, I want I want sub 24. Like this is, I, I can make it. Um, and my watch at this point, I'm looking at it and I have no idea how many miles I has because the canopy is screwed up the mileage. And, um, with, with, with the GPS. So I was like, just playing it out in my head. I'm like, I'm thinking it's this far and I have this much time. And I was like, screw it. And I just started, um, as soon as I finished that last climb, I started hammering hard. I was sprinting all the way down. This is at night, um, over like, you know, Canyon edges. (laughs) And, um, as I got further and closer to the finish line that I looked at my watch again, I'm like, that time crunch is coming down. And, um, almost, just completely reckless. Um, I was the last mile I was just jumping down, landing. And, uh, there was this root, uh, or, um, tree branch, I should say that extended over this, this drop off on this trail going down. And the entire race, I wanted to just swing off it. And I'm like, that's stupid. Don't you break your ankle. What are you thinking? 
Um, and I didn't think twice. I saw and I swung on this thing and it launched me forward and without a beat just kept running. And um, all I could hear like was my, well, uh, apart from my heavy metal blasting was my <laughs> breathing. Just, I was breathing hard. I mean, just all out. And I, I as I got closer, um, I saw one of the guys that works at the aid station and I could hear him on the radio and he was like, he's rounding the corner. He's crossing the bridge. And, uh, <laughs> and then I just, I just so hard. And I had no idea if I was going to make it or not. And I made it with like 26 seconds to spare. And it was, to me, it was one of the, the greatest moments, you know, in, in, in all of my racing. Um, because it just to find that power after just such a brutal day and then completely without any idea if I was actually had a chance of making it, I'm like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> wow. Um, where do you think that power came from? Like, where does that power come from? I know you're fit and strong and you're capable of doing it and you've trained and you raced and, and I know you're listening to music and you're, you know that you're in first and you've got this guy, your buddy coming up hard on your tail. Like, where does this, where do you think that power comes from? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've done it in 200 mile races too, or I've been like 120 miles in, and I'm dropping like six minute splits, and it's stupid. Um, <laughs> but you know, like you know, I just get so in the moment sometimes. Um, I, I just feel everything that's around me. I've got the music, music coursing through my veins, and and then that feeds the adrenaline, and then the goosebumps, and you know, you play out something's you know in your head ahead of time. Like for me. I'm always like, I would love to win every race. I know it's not idealistic and, you know, but when it, the thing, you know, that you've played out in your head several times is actually happening. And then you're like, I can't just, it just all feeds one another. And, um, I, I really, in this is the same when I finished Cocodona, the last mile, um, I was just sprinting all, all the way down and it, you just, I don't, I don't know how to, how to describe it, where I get it from. And I, I've always managed no matter how sore I am or how long I've been running, I can just turn things on like that. Yeah. That, that finish line energy. I think we've, yeah. I think we've all experienced it, um, to, to some degree. It's, it's quite amazing. And I think it really is like, you have to just be I think it's a product of, of being present. Like, I think it's a product of just being so fully in that moment that you've got all your faculties, like you've got your highest, um, potential, like right there playing out for you. And it's just, it's not, it's like you can't do it at mile 50. Like you, just, you, you know, it's gotta yeah. be like the finish line or somebody's hot on your tail or you're like going for something like this, uh, sub 24. So, oh my God, that's so awesome. Um, anybody who's, interested in the hurt um how would you describe that course um a hundred miles of hopscotch <laughs> uphill <laughs> I, I don't know that to me that's it literally is a dance um you do dance most of your way through that race just you can't step on roots you can't step on rocks because uh, the rocks are slippery the roots are slippery um you're looking for all the little mud pockets in between which get all torn up because you've got hundreds of runners back and forth going and then rains and then it's hot and just all the things that make it just, you know, one of the toughest races out there. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a picture of me, um, I, I, online. I think I was at halfway through the race and I just had this ice bag under my hat and I'm just eating this popsicle. And <laughs> I just, it was the most like euphoric feeling <laughs> ever because it was just so miserable out there. I was like, Oh my God, this ice cream, this right now, this popsicle is like the best thing I've ever had. And knowing that I have to go back out there and, and suffer again. But, um, yeah, I would say it's, you know, if it's an, to me, it's an Island race, so you can expect a lot of vert. Um, but yeah, it has everything that makes it uh, one of the, one of the hardest ultras out there. Yeah, there's a cool documentary on like its origins. I'll, I'll put a link for that in uh, in the show notes too, which is great. I watched that years ago, and it's always intrigued me. But whew, just looks like slip and slide. It just looks like a really wet, humid, hot, like just gnarly, gnarly yeah. race. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I, one last thing I wanted to, to touch upon was um, through all of this. I know before we wrap this up. 
like uh, how has injury played a role in, in, in your racing and training? If you can touch upon that quickly, if you have, because as runners go long distances, things tend to show up um, without proper training and they, and then they'll start to maybe pull away from the sport a little bit or from the distances that cause that sensation. So have you worked through any of that and, and gotten through it? Yeah. You know, most of my injuries now are, uh, from me falling <laughs> just cause I do this like stupid, insane terrain all the time. But, um, that's why I'm like enjoying it while I can. I'm young and spry enough to, as I get older, I'll probably start just doing the easier stuff. But, um, yeah, early on I had a lot, lot more injuries. Um, part of that is just learning how to run properly, uh, gate, um, proper nutrition, electrolytes, all those things play a part. Um, I certainly had tried to run through certain injuries and, uh, try to push through too fast. And, um, it ends up reoccurring. Um, I've had calf strains and like partial tears and, um, especially early on when I started cranking up the vertical, because again, my, the way I, uh, went from a 50 mile to a hundred mile and then it was just like, just go like, Oh, what's, what's more vertical. What's, what's harder. And, um, so it, it, for me, it happened real fast and, um, I've really had to kind of work on that over the years, um, with some strength training. Um, I do, I go to a stretch therapist, um, quite often. Um, I call her my stretch ninja. Um, it's pretty comical cause she's like half my height and she's like flipping my legs all over the place. It's like this giant, you know, um, I look like a giant next to her. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, those sorts of things are important. Um, I go for a massage, to uh, keep relaxed and stuff, or just like after any big race. Um, again, these are things that I never used to do when I was younger. Um, but yeah, you know, for a lot of people, it's just, I think if you, if it, for anybody, if you push too hard, too fast, you're gonna, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. And, uh, eight more miles is your, your website and your coaching. What does that mean? Eight more miles. So, it, uh, it started as a, uh, pardon the pun running joke, um, among some friends, uh, every year, um, we host this, uh, run. So I do this thing called the holiday hundred every year. Um, and it's just a way of motivating everybody to between Thanksgiving to New Year's, we run a hundred miles and it works out to about three something miles a day. Um, and you can do it on your own pace and everyone goes on there and pledges the amount of miles that they want to do. And, um, we all kind of have this secret, like, well, we have a Facebook page and then we just kind of, you know, motivate each other. Everyone, we see each other's out, everyone's going out there. And so they're like, Oh, I need to be going outside and doing, doing this as well. And I try and set up extra challenges each year. Like we've done uh, pushups or planking or, or uh, fastest mile time, that sort of thing. And, um, part of it is I, every year on Thanksgiving weekend, I take a bunch of folks out across, uh, at the national trail in, in Phoenix, which is, um, this, uh, it's roughly 15 miles from point to point across the entire South mountain. Um, and it's, it's really beautiful. It's got all these different, uh, different landscapes. Uh, there's a cave that we always take our picture in and, and, um, it's, I feel kind of like it's Lord of the Rings. I'm leading all these folks all over across this single track on this mountain. And it dips from like, you know, diff one side to another, you can see the city and then you're all of a sudden it's just mountains all around you and they're gone. And, um, well, one year, uh, I set up the, the drop car points and, uh, they're doing all this construction. I'm like, crap. And I have to park about two miles downhill and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to say anything because it's just going to break them if I add this extra two miles on here. And um, we get to the halfway point during during the run and they're like, how much further? I'm like, it's eight, eight more miles. And they're like, okay. And then a couple of miles later, it's getting really hot. And I'm like, how much further? I'm like, looking at my watch, I'm like, eight more miles. <laughs> and they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> And then I have to break the news to them, like, you know, I, the cars are a little further than the last time. And uh, so, yeah, they're all, <laughs> they're all angry with me, but not really angry. Just like, this is kind of what we've learned to expect from you. And, um, you know, at the end, we all have beer and stuff. So, like, waiting coolers and drinks and everyone's fine. But um, it's actually happened a couple of times, whether it's like they close the gate or whatever going on. So now... I just kind of leave it up to like, I don't know what's going to happen to me this year. Maybe it'll be 15 miles, maybe 17 miles. And 
um, we always have a bunch of folks come out and, and then we all go out together and have, have uh, lunch afterwards. It's, it's really great. But I've kind of used that as my mantra over the years. And um, because there, you can always go eight more miles. It's just, you know, it, it doesn't matter what anyone tells you, how long the race is going to be or where you're going. You can get lost or things happen and it's just eight more miles. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's the perfect place to wrap it up. I love it. I'm so glad I asked about that because I see you light up when you talk about community and you really do, you really do live what you say, which is like, you know, inspiring people and, and sharing the trails with them. And that's awesome. I love it. I think that that probably fuels your, your speed as well. For sure. It, yeah, it really does. And, and the coaching thing for me is new. And that's one of the greatest things I, I tried it for about a year. And I'm like, seeing if I like it, but seeing the progression from the athletes and, and, uh, I mean, they're doing it. I mean, and, the beautiful part about, about it is like they maybe they had a little doubt that they could do it or these things. And then every one of my friends that over the years I've gotten to like, they're running, you know, five or six miles. And next thing you know, they're doing a hundred mile race. And it's just, you know, you kind of like egg them on ever so slightly year by year. And then before you know it, you've got a full blown ultra runner on your hand. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. Love Pete, it. thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's good to get to yeah. know you. Yeah, thank you guys so much as well. It was, it was a pleasure talking to you. 